So there weren't any products that you could buy, but women are creative and we're problem solvers. And so there was a lot of posts on Pinterest and people sharing ways that they had done DIY solutions. So they had taken shoe organizers, they had bought plastic containers off of Amazon and kind of repurposed them for medications. Clearly we needed this, just no one had kind of taken all these ideas and made it easy for you to find this specific for your journey. Been There Injected That is a TMI podcast about going through infertility and all the hormone injections, awkward moments, and nervous breakdowns along the way. I'm Elise Ash. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Been There Injected That. Today on the podcast, we have Danielle and Patrick Hall, who I'm so excited to talk to today. Danielle and Patrick Hall are fertility warriors themselves and married co-founders of the company MyVitro. MyVitro creates medical organizers designed specifically for people undergoing IVF and other fertility treatments. So welcome, Danielle and Patrick. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. I'm so excited to talk to you both. Um, Danielle and I have chatted a little bit over email, but Patrick, I'm excited to meet you and kind of talk to you both as a couple. This is our first interview we've done with a married couple who's gone through <laughs> infertility. And I'm, and I'm excited to hear from both of you. I think too often I'm talking just to like one representative of a couple and usually it's a woman or a female partner. So I'm excited to kind of hear from both of you about your experience through fertility treatments and all that good stuff. So thank you both for being so open to this. Oh, you bet. And you know, the statistics are that uh, it's a third, a third, a third, right? Uh, a third of the issues in infertility are unknown. A third come from issues with the female cycle and a third come from the male perspective. So I'm glad to be able to talk about those issues. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. I'm wondering if we can start at the beginning with both of you, how you met and kind of what your relationship looked like before trying to conceive. Uh, so we met at a work conference and we did long distance for, I guess, maybe almost two years. Uh, we met, you know, Patrick lived in Ohio, which is where we currently live now, but I'm from New England. And so I was in Boston and he was in Ohio and we went back and forth to see each other. And then when we got married, I moved here to Ohio. So now we're in Columbus and I think we did what a fair amount of couples do who are maybe a little bit older. You know, we got married, I was in my early thirties. So as soon as we got married, we started to try to have kids. Yeah. And I was in my late thirties, but uh, I had had a child with my uh, ex-wife and we had gotten pregnant immediately. So this is when I was 31. So that kind of informed the process of us trying to conceive was, you know, I had successfully had a child. Yeah. So it really didn't occur to us that we would struggle. I think back to us and I feel like we were so, I don't know, so naive, just like those, yeah, we're going to, we're going to have sex and we're going to have a baby and we're going to just move forward and it's going to be easy and quick and no problem. Well, and there's no reason to assume there's a problem until there is one. So, and right. especially Patrick with your history as well, it's like, why would there be an issue? So we started right away um, and really that first year we got pregnant and miscarried three times that first year that we started trying, which was really hard. Uh, you know, I think a lot of us have experienced this and the first miscarriage was just like a total shock. Again, I think I just didn't have, I don't think either of us had in our mind that we were going to have any trouble. So 
it was a, a big shock. And then I think with each subsequent pregnancy and then miscarriage, there was just so much fear surrounding it. Um, and we didn't know, we didn't have any answers. Um, and I think for me, that part was really hard. Just, just the not knowing, not having any insight into what was happening and miscarriages are very common. And so our, um, our OB that we had started seeing through this process had said, this is not uncommon, just try again. And so we didn't have a lot of testing. And by the time we did go see, uh, fertility specialist after our third miscarriage, we really had to advocate strongly for ourselves in order to get that recommendation. I think if we hadn't pushed, I think we wouldn't have been recommended at that point. Yeah. I feel like that's such a tough position to be in where you've had three losses is so intense. I mean, and it's intense on your body, of course, but it's also so tough on your relationship, on your own mental health, Mm -hmm. and really trying to decide like, what is the best path for us? Because you don't want to keep trying and having losses like you want answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think for us too, r- really the difficulty was that, you know, Danielle blaming herself and, yeah. and constantly questioning what's wrong with me. What, what are my issues? Um, and it really wasn't until we had some certainty around a diagnosis that I think we, we felt like we had a plan at least. What was your path um, to receiving a diagnosis and what was your plan? Yeah, sure. So, you know, kind of immediately when seeing an REI, we went down the path of uh, genetic testing and I received a diagnosis of a balanced translocation. It took a while to get those results, um, but really at the end of the day, the kind of the genetic abnormality was causing a miscarriage. Uh, I think it was roughly 73% of the time. So, wow. Right. So, understanding probabilities and odds. It was just kind of a roll of the dice each time uh, on whether or not a pregnancy would uh, be viable. Yeah, viable. Yeah. And I think that was really, again, surprising to us. As Patrick said, I obviously was leaning very hard into this idea that it was absolutely my fault. I think partially just because so often in kind of our culture and society, women do think it's our fault. Again, for no, for no reason other than just we take on that burden ourselves. But then the other is that Patrick had already had a child. So we had this extra data point. Um, so when we got that diagnosis, it was very surprising. But I think for me, it gave me a lot of, it gave me more peace. Just mm-hmm. even though we, it wasn't a great diagnosis. 73% of the time we were going to miscarry, you know, that was not, that was not a good diagnosis, but it, it was information. And I, and I think a lot of times with infertility, you don't always get that kind of clear insight on what's happening. Um, and so I think at least that part, we at least knew what our challenge was, even if it was a big challenge. So how did this diagnosis affect your relationship? You know, what, what were kind of some of the interpersonal things you were both dealing with and trying to, to get through together? For me, it, it kind of floored me, the diagnosis, right? Like I, I guess I could feel pretty open in saying that it definitely challenged my masculinity, right? Like it's just not something that I had ever identified myself as being is infertile, right? But like a clear diagnosis and a clear, you know, medical condition is also um, psychologically impactful, right? So kind of the tables turned on, I think, how I felt about 
what we were going through pretty immediately. I was just kind of like crushed that I knew how much emotional pain Daniel had gone through. Uh, and for my body to kind of be the cause of that was just very psychologically jarring. But I definitely think that it opened us up in a path of communicating around kind of more negative emotions and challenges and talking through those together as a couple. You know, we had just recently met, we had just recently gotten married. So all of the, all of the energy that we had had together had been very positive and very, you know, very dynamic for building a future together. And these challenges kind of shifted a lot of the emotional dynamics, but I you know I definitely think it made us stronger as a couple going through it. I absolutely agree. And, and I think being respectful, I think this was the first time that we realized that we both process negative emotions in different ways and not being upset with the other when they didn't react the way that we did. That is like uh, such a huge theme that we hear all the time where <laughs> one person in the couple is maybe responding to trauma or information in one way, maybe they're being avoidant, maybe they're playing a lot of video games, maybe they're <laughs> drinking a lot, like whatever that looks like. And the other partner is like, am I the only one who's sad? Yeah. Like, I feel really alone. And I feel like that's a common dynamic in heterosexual couples where you have this like masculine figure who's like looking to be the fixer and doesn't want to get emotional and just really wants to support their partner. And then you have oftentimes like the woman being like, why am I the only one who's sad about this? Can you like get on my level? That was a constant fight Brad and I had where it was just me feeling like, why am I the only one sad? And he's like, I'm sad. I'm just handling this like way differently than you are. I feel like that is exactly us. I feel like I would say, why are you not at an 11? Like I'm at an 11 right now. Yeah, we are in crisis mode. Like yeah. get on my level. I felt like that was a constant. I was personally offended by how non-emotional he was. I was like- what has to happen? Like, this is a tragedy and you're just being, are you dead inside? Like what's happening? <laughs> right. And it's funny. It's funny. The example is you push out of like how, uh, how men handle this, right? Like, fortunately, I kind of started down the path of some pretty like intense physical exercise. I had gotten in pretty intensely into Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And while this was going on, like those training sessions just amped up like tremendously. Mm. I signed up for competitions. I was training four times a week. And so I was able to, uh, honestly, I was in the best shape of my life going through this because this is where all of those negative emotions went out was, was unfortunate. Well, fortunately or unfortunately, just wrestling other men, right? Like just taking, <laughs> taking that <energy laughs> out in a physical way. And it, and it definitely helped me psychologically because it just kind of wrung all that out of me. Well, and it's funny because I think we as humans and through this pandemic, we've just seen like how different all of our coping mechanisms are. And I mean, mm -hmm. that seems like a really healthy <laughs> way of dealing with stress and aggression is like through that physical way. I feel like I was just eating a lot of ice cream. So getting back, so you received this diagnosis and then did you decide to go through IVF? Like what did that process look like and what surprised you about that process? Yeah. So our our doctor immediately said that IVF was our best option. We knew that we would do ICSI because of, I think primarily because of our ages and that we would, the assumption would be that we would do genetic testing of the embryos. So we would always be doing a frozen transfer. I guess there was a few months in between our diagnosis and starting treatment, but we knew right away like, yep, this is what we're going to do. So we went right into it. 
I don't really think we even considered not doing it. I think it was like they basically the message to us, and we always talked about it in these terms, is we needed more chances with such a high risk of non-viable embryos. We needed just lots of at-bats. So more eggs, more fertilized embryos give us a higher chance of having an embryo that we'd be able to transfer. So we went into this, you know, I think in true kind of competitive high functioning, you know, like we're going to attack this. We're going to do IVF. We're going to get tons of eggs. We're going to get tons of embryos. And of course, the way that this so often goes, it it did not turn out that way. (laughs) I didn't respond uh, very well to IVF, particularly the first round that we did. So we didn't end up with many eggs. And that first round, even after the retrieval, we didn't have any, any embryos rather that came to blastocyst. So we could never do any genetic testing that first round. I think we had all these hopes that IVF was going to be the solution. Okay. We've diagnosed our problem. IVF is the solution. We will do IVF and then we will move forward and we will get pregnant. And we ended up with nothing to show for it after that first round. What were some of the feelings that were kind of popping up over receiving that news? I think I fell right back into my pattern that I had been in before we got our diagnosis of my body's not good at IVF. My body's not responding to this, even though maybe our infertility diagnosis wasn't kind of my fault. Now I'm not good at IVF. So, okay, this is okay. You know, we're back in my sweet spot of (laughs) blaming, blaming myself and blaming my body. So I feel like I felt very like, this isn't going to work. That is so crazy what you said, Danielle, with the like, I'm not good at IVF. Like as somebody else who had a failed first round where we also didn't have any viable embryos, I also felt that like, wow, like not only am I bad at getting pregnant, I'm really bad at like making eggs and I'm bad at this. Like even this thing that we're paying a ton of money for help, we're injecting me full of these hormones. Mm -hmm. Like despite all this help, like I still suck at this, which is, yeah. I mean, it's just insane that that's how we talk to ourselves because if we were talking to a friend who were going through this, we'd never be like, wow, you're really bad (laughs) at IVF. You know, it's just that negative self-talk is so internal and it's so deep. Patrick, what was your, I'm trying to remember back. What was your reaction after our first round? Uh, I guess just shocked at the results, right? Just, Mm -hmm. I mean, the odds of the, that outcome just didn't seem possible on top of, I was already causing miscarriages so frequently, right? Like it, it just like the numbers constantly being against us. And, you know, I'm kind of a, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm an investor. So like, I understand probabilities and numbers pretty well, I like to think. And just the, the way the numbers kept coming up were just kind of staggering to me. Mm-hmm. Were you both aligned at what you want to do next or next steps, or did that take a little time to process and agree on a path? I think we both knew that we wanted to do another round. I think the big question was, were we going to stay at our clinic? And we, we went in for our appointment after the cycle had failed to talk with our doctor and say, okay, like, let's rehash this. What are we going to do next round? Like, we're ready to try again how are we going to improve this? And I remember so clearly that our doctor said, "Uh, we're not going to change anything. Sometimes this happens. We're going to just do this exact cycle again. And I just remember my thought was just like, absolutely not. Like, Mm -hmm. nope, that doesn't make any sense to me. I think that we need to think about going to another doctor. Right. And I just think there was just a, there was just not a good match personality wise 
there for us either. It just wasn't a, it wasn't a good fit. And I don't think either of us had really ever considered that. Like we, we never had intense medical treatments before, never really thought about like the environment and the type of care you're getting. We always kind of thought everything was like very clear cut, you know, very procedure oriented. And I don't think either of us had ever really kind of had to confront that piece of the, the medical industry either of really evaluating like our conditions and our environment and you know, who we're seeing for treatment. So mm-hmm. I think that was, uh, that was eye-opening for us as well. Mm-hmm. So you switched clinics and were you happier at your next clinic? Yeah, Absolutely you know, we met with him and, and we're in Columbus, Ohio, and he's a little bit polarizing, I think, in the IVF community here in Columbus, because he's very direct. I remember our first meeting with him, he talked to us about sperm donation, egg donation. There was nothing he held back. He was like, your chances are low of getting pregnant, but with your own eggs and your own sperm. So what do you think about these things? I don't know, Patrick, you can chime in, but I remember just being like, wow, that that came up very fast. Like we've only done one round. I don't think we're ready for that. But I think for me, I very much appreciated his very straightforward. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. And I really liked that about his, his direct manner. Yeah, I would concur. He, he put everything out on the table in a much clearer, direct way. It just, it seemed very much more open and we were kind of more engaged in the process and immediately in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and he changed our protocol. You know, some of it was just small tweaks. Some of it was different medication and we did have better results. Um, we got the same amount of eggs retrieved that round, but, um, we ended up with five embryos that we got tested. So, wow. so much better. Yeah. And yeah, going from zero to five, I mean, that's huge. And I think now that years later, and now that I've spent so much time within kind of the infertility community and, and hearing from other people and their stories. Now I realize just how rare that is to go from no embryos to test one round to having five to test the second round. But even with five to test, we still, after the testing ended up with no viable embryos. Wow. Which was really hard. How did you decide to move forward after that? The way I felt about it was IVF, the experience of doing IVF, the work of my body, the scheduling, the mental load was much harder than the experience of having a miscarriage. And I think there's like a lot of different things that go into that, but it was very clear to me that I wanted to try maybe the natural way. And even though we didn't have a lot of hope, IVF wasn't really giving us a lot of hope either. And so I still felt like having a baby was probably not going to be possible for us, but I didn't want to keep using IVF as a tool to get there. But I think that's where us having a clear diagnosis was very helpful, right? Like, you know, I said that earlier, it's a third, a third, a third, and, you know, it wasn't unknown to us, right? We knew exactly what the problem was. So I think that we were very fortunate from that perspective. And Danielle had gotten pregnant before multiple Mm -hmm. times. So it wasn't like, okay, and Patrick, you'd had a child from a previous marriage. Mm -hmm. So those were knowns too. So yeah, I can see how you would come to this decision. So did you decide then to keep trying naturally? Yeah, we did. I think, you know, my vitro, I think this is really where my vitro, you know, enters the chat very strongly. Um, (laughs) So um, I had had the idea 
for my vitro during that second round. And in my mind, that was a very big part of this decision-making process. Felt very motivated. I felt very driven to spend time and energy on this new idea that we had had. And so that was another component. I think the, the feeling of helplessness that we maybe weren't going to grow our family anymore was tempered by this new idea um, that was really taking a lot of energy and excitement from us. So I feel like that was kind of both of those things were happening when we decided to stop treatment. We'll be right back. Whether you're looking for a good luck charm for your next IUI or getting a little something for your cycle buddy on Instagram, check out our online shop. Discreet hopeful beanies, rainbow sweatshirts, We've got you covered whether you're loud and proud about your journey or keeping it under wraps for now. Check out shop.fruitfulfertility.org to see all our fruitful merchandise. Now back to the show. Can you share a little bit more, Danielle, about where that idea came from from my vitro and kind of walk us through some of the, the beginning fun ideations that you were having at the very, very beginning? So during the second round, um, one of the, the things that we did, the change that we made was we decided that Patrick should take Josie, his daughter, my stepdaughter on a father daughter trip and be away during my round of treatment. I decided that the best solution was to not have a support system at all. <laughs> Genius move on my part. Like, um, I would like to be incredibly isolated. During yes. Time. I would yeah. like completely. And, and I think my thought process was just, I want to be very selfish. I had still had to do my job. Obviously we're all right. Everybody's working through all of this, which is just shocking because it takes so much time. So yeah. I, and the compartmentalization you have to do when you're working and going through IVF is borderline like insane. Crazy. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Everything's fine. Here's that expense report. Yeah. Yep. Hold on. I'll be right back. I had to just go give myself a couple shots real fast. Like, but it's don't fine. tell anyone that. Yeah. Don't yeah. mind my runny eyeliner. It's fine. It's fine. So I, I thought I'm going to do my job and I'm going to do IVF and I'm going to do yoga and I'm not going to think about anything else. So Patrick and Josie went on an international trip. So not only were they going to be away, but they were going to be on a different time zone and maybe out of self-service, like perfect. <laughs> so off they go. And like halfway through my stims, I like obviously have like a full on mental breakdown and I'm like trying to talk to Patrick and he's in Iceland with Josie. <laughs> and that's when I had the idea. And I think this was me trying to grasp at different ways to find support. So I had convinced myself that I didn't need emotional support, which wasn't true, but I was also looking for what are other ways to support. And so I was really struggling with the medication. My first round, I had made a couple of mistakes. Um, and so I had made improvements my second round. I set up a workstation. I didn't move around my house. I um, was very methodical with how I organized everything, you know, on a, on a hamper in, in our bedroom. And at that kind of midway point, when I was really starting to freak out about not having any support around. I said, you know what? I'm just going to buy something to organize my medication. I'm just going to go online and I'm going to look for an IVF medication organizer and I'm going to buy it. I'm going to have Amazon send it to me in two days. And that will help this, at least this part of it. And obviously I looked and there's nothing that exists. And I got really mad that I couldn't, I couldn't find a solution for this problem. That seemed very straightforward and, and probably very easy. You know, we have all sorts of 
tools for organizing everything else in our life. Yeah. There's like 800 different ways you can organize your shoes. There's not your one shoes. for organizing like meds. It's so weird. Right. Exactly. And for the cost that we all, all the money that we all spend on these medications on IVF all the time, the importance of it. So that night I drew a sketch, which, you know, when I look at the sketch now of like my first idea of what it would look like, it's, it doesn't really look like any of our products. It has some components of it, but you know, we worked with design firms over the years that had much more skill in, in this area. So they, they helped us convert our vision into some the products that we have now, but that was when I did it. I sketched it out. And I also realized in searching, it wasn't, so there weren't any products that you could buy, but women are creative and we're problem solvers. And so there was a lot of posts on Pinterest and people sharing ways that they had done DIY solutions. So they had taken shoe organizers, they had taken jewelry organizers, they had bought plastic containers off of Amazon and kind of repurposed them for medications. So clearly we needed this. We were coming up with ideas, but just no one had kind of taken all these ideas and made it easy for you to find this specific for your journey. Yeah. I mean, I've seen a lot of those photos too, Danielle, like on social media of people kind of hacking tackle boxes and caboodles and like those kinds Mm -hmm. of things and kind of making it fit. But because the medication for IVF is so specific and some of it, some of them are like in pens and some Mm -hmm. meds you need to mix and there's different like size needles and some needs to be refrigerated. It can be like really hard to figure out. And I think what you're hitting on also here with your idea is this idea of like organization almost as for some people, a form of self-care. Like I was Mm -hmm. definitely that way when I was going through IVF because I also like structure and organization and control. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I was also like hungry for that and hungry for some type of way to treat myself through this too. And I feel like this would absolutely have been a type of product I would have been like, well, you know, we're going through this really expensive, intense procedure. I at least wanted to like look cute and be organized and like have all the different components and like have an element of self-care. This is something I can treat myself to and feel excited about. Yeah. And I think all those things you just laid out, right? Like Danielle came to me with this idea and I I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were a little apprehensive on kind of pitching it to me. Like we had talked really honestly, we had talked several times about different types of businesses that we could run together, franchises, uh, day spas, things like that. And when Danielle yep. sent me that, that I have yep. a, I have an idea here. Everything you just said, at least clicked with me. Like, yes, there, any, anytime you have like a psychologically and emotionally intensive process, there's space to add value to improve it. Um, and then it all immediately clicked that there were, there's a hole here that we could fill. Absolutely. Yeah. I was apprehensive. I think we knew that just within our relationship, that the idea of starting a business about, we didn't, we didn't know what kind of business was important to us. And up until this moment, I had brought several ideas and they had all been generally shut down relatively quickly for various reasons. So I was a little bit hesitant and right. Patrick immediately was like, no, there's something, there's something here. Well, and nothing like pitching, like a very personal (laughs) idea when you're on a lot of hormones and feeling very (laughs) vulnerable, you're like, please, do you like this idea? (laughs) Right. And I think that's really what my question was. Like, am I am I going crazy? Like, am I just so upset and I'm just grasping to try to find things to make this more palatable, to make, you know, to feel more organized, to feel more in control. Like, am I just grasping for that? Or, or is this something that, is there a gap here? 
and, and are other people, will other people want this? And we just like, right away, we both, I think we're like, let's, let's try this. What are some of your favorite parts of working on my vitro? And especially as a couple, you know, where my husband and I, you know, we had a similar situation where we were so traumatized <laughs> through our fertility <laughs> journey and we're like, this sucks and can only get better. So like, let's use our talents and skills and put our brains together and come up mm -hmm. with something. That's how we came up with fruitful. But mm -hmm. I'm curious with you, Patrick and Danielle, like what are some of your favorite parts about working on this product? Yeah, well, I think for me, like I've kind of taken on logistics uh, and just like touch all of our orders every day, right? So every day I, I package up half a dozen, a dozen, two dozen packages that, you know, are going to help somebody have a baby. And I, and I didn't really think about how positive and energizing that would make me feel when we started talking about this business. But, you know, so much of our world is very abstract. Uh, I spent a lot of time in spreadsheets in my career, right? And just kind of moving columns around and de dealing with things in a very abstract way. So I think that has been very gratifying for me, just being able to, you know, touch everything as it, as it goes out the door. And we get such wonderful feedback. I think I cry once a day, just from a message someone sends to us, either reviewing our website or um, on Instagram. And sometimes they're about the practical side of it. This helped me be more organized. I feel in control. But a lot of times they say, thank you for being in business. Thank you for existing. This makes me feel seen. And I think those are the messages that make us feel amazing and the best. And I, and I think when we started the business, part of the reason we wanted to start it is because there's something very normalizing about searching for a specialty product online and, and finding it right away and saying, okay, what I'm going through is not weird. I'm not alone. Here are these products just for what I'm going through. There's all these other people that are using them as well. We're all having a similar experience. Um, there's something just so normalizing and uh, about that process. And we hear that from our customers, which is just wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's huge. I mean, especially when you're talking about people who have chronic illness or something mm -hmm. else. I mean, just seeing the validation of like, I, I think a lot about people who have diabetes and, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of inventions around like, okay, I need like a type of tape to, to stick my device to my body that isn't going to like hurt my skin. Oh, wow. Somebody invented that because they mm -hmm. also saw this problem mm -hmm. and also wanted to help invest in solving it, help people in the community. Like it's so multifaceted. And I think about that too, with your products and how design is love and it's seeing this problem. It's seeing this community and it's saying, yes, this is worth the investment of designing mm -hmm. this, selling it, putting up a website. I mean, it just takes so much money and time and investment to create a physical product, go through all this testing, go through all these iterations. I mean, I can only imagine how many different versions you all have designed. And I think as a consumer, you know that and you know, like, wow, it must be worth it. There must be people who are benefiting from this for them to be in business and continue making these products. It's so true. And to feel like I'm worth it, you know, going through this experience is that it's worth putting the time and the money into it. And I, and I hope that people do feel that way. Um, and I think also that, and I think this comes, I hope it comes across kind of in our branding and in our approach is that there's, there's nothing wrong with doing fertility treatment. There's nothing, you shouldn't feel ashamed. You shouldn't hide it. 
it's a, a medical procedure, it's a diagnosis, and here are the tools that you can use to help you with that. Really kind of taking away some of that stigma that, that I think so many of us feel alongside this. Why is infertility particularly painful for people like you, Danielle, for people like me, who like love control and organization? Mm-hmm. Have you found that this is particularly tricky for people who are like us and might be more type A. When we were talking about what was the hardest part of this, I think when I think about that, I think the not knowing, not having those answers, which I think translates into not having control. So I think for for so much of infertility, you either don't have a diagnosis ever, or you do, but there's a certain amount of time where you don't. Um, You can't control the outcomes, even though we tried our best. And then I think particularly around treatment, when I think of our first round, I had no idea what I didn't know. I am someone who absolutely likes to study or prepare or learn in advance. And I didn't even know what I should be doing to go into my first round. And I think we relied on our clinic a lot. And we assumed that our clinic was telling us everything that we would ever need to know about doing IVF. And so much of IVF happens at home that even though we did get an injection training class and, you know, our doctor and our nurses did talk to us about it, the gap between what they tell you and feeling like you are good at or understand or feel confident is enormous. And so I think I really struggled with that, that there wasn't like a playbook of here are all the things that you will need to do in order to be successful at this. And I really struggled with that concept. And at the time I was in I was trying to think of what the word is. I guess I was in like message board, message groups. I I did not find the Instagram infertility community until long after we had stopped treatment. So I, I didn't really have a lot of support. My friends that had gone through it, I didn't talk to them in very much detail about this. Again, talk about cultural stigma and social stigma. These are some of my closest friends and I didn't really open up or ask them questions about it. I didn't want to seem like I didn't know what I was doing. And so I think that I really struggled with that. Um, And I think that pain point also fed into my vitro. Not only are you going to organize your medications with our products, but we're hoping that you'll find us before your first round starts and you'll quickly see all of the tools that will help you. You may not know that having an ice pack or a heating pad is helpful. You may not know that you're going to have to put half your medications in the refrigerator until they show up on your doorstep. Um, And so we're hopeful that by looking at the products that we sell, you will understand more about what this experience is going to be like at home and help you be more successful and feel more confident through that process. Do you have any tips or suggestions for ways people can stay organized while they're going through IVF? I think the time commitment, the amount of time that IVF takes up in your life, I had no concept of going into this. So I think making sure that you really clear your calendar and if you can talk to your job, neither of us spoke to our colleagues or our, you know, or my boss at the time about it. And I think that added an extra layer of stress because not only was I having to rework my schedule, but I was also kind of lying about it, um, which just adds like a whole nother layer of, of stress and anxiety. So I think if you can get some time off or, or at least time allotted for, I think that's extremely helpful. 
setting up a workstation. And this was something I did not do my first round. I did shots in the kitchen. I did them in my bedroom. I did them sometimes in front of the TV. The second round, I did not do that. Second round, I had a workstation. I treated it, I guess, with more seriousness. I don't like to think that I did not take it seriously the first time, but I didn't understand that I needed to be very organized and systematic in giving myself injections. And so I think having a designated workstation, it was a tip that I, that I think is very helpful. Yeah. I love that idea of having a, a designated workstation and also like a little bit of a ritual. I feel like, mm-hmm. um, after I would get an injection, I would like have a piece of dove chocolate or like, there was like something <laughs> I was like, no, I need to have like my little something, something happy mm-hmm. to look forward to at the end of this. It's funny that you say you think you got more serious about it with your second round. Cause I feel like I had the opposite. <laughs> I had the inverse <laughs> where my first round, I was very methodical and I was very, particular. And I almost was like doing self-care as a checklist. Okay. Did I meditate? And it was very superstitious Mm -hmm. too. I'm a very superstitious person, like with sports and with everything. It's like, okay, who was pitching that day? And what was I wearing? And like, now I have to like (laughs) replicate the same thing for success. So I feel like my first round, I was very like meditate every day, do this every day, journal every day, which is so Mm. not the way (laughs) self-care is (laughs) supposed to work. Like I was so regimented. And then when that didn't work and our first cycle failed, I was kind of like, well, fuck this. This didn't work at all. I'm just going to do nothing. And I, I feel like I almost like threw everything in the trash and was like, well, all my ritualizations and like special woo woo things I was doing, like none of that worked. So I'm just going to do nothing and reverse jinx it. So, right. <laughs> So funny, right? We all have these different, it's all different tools, all different tools to try to manage this almost unmanageable process. So going back one second to your personal story, Patrick and Danielle, I'm curious to know what ended up happening. I know you decided to stop doing the IVF treatments and we're trying naturally. Can you kind of share where you ended up? So kind of think surprisingly to us both immediately after stopping uh, IVF and trying to conceive naturally, Danielle became pregnant. We were pretty apprehensive. Farther along, we did, you know, more, we did certainly did genetic testing and, you know, the embryo was viable and we uh, had a child nine months later, a little boy named Elysio. How did that feel, Danielle, after so many losses and failed IVF rounds? What, what was kind of going through your mind during that pregnancy? Yeah. Right. We were, there was so much anxiety. And I think we did tell our parents pretty early on. I think we had learned through going through so many miscarriages that not talking about it was, it didn't really serve us in any way because you're, you're kind of keeping the secret from the people that you will eventually want support from. So we told our parents pretty early on. And I remember Patrick's parents in particular were showing signs of excitement through the course we were at dinner with them. And we told them, and I just remember both of us being like, do not be excited. Like Mm. we do not know how this is going. And I just remember having a lot of anger about it. Like, please don't show excitement. We don't know if this is going to end up being a baby. Like this is probably going to end in miscarriage. And I feel like we were plagued by those kinds of feelings really until 
probably halfway through, maybe. I, I can't, I'm trying to remember when we started to feel a little bit lighter, Patrick, and more. I, th- I think for me, it was around five months. It was just like uh, appointment after appointment and reassurance after reassurance and you know, s- seeing the genetic testing. And mm-hmm. I think once we got to about the five month mark, we both were breathing a little easier. Yeah. Such an amazing story and journey. And I'm so inspired by both of you and how you've been able to turn something so painful and hard into something that's helping a lot of people into something tangible that's giving people hope and organization, something both practical, but also that feels like self-care, I think is so important and interesting. And I'm just, you know, so thrilled with the work that you've been doing for the community. So Thank you both so much for being guests today. If you want to learn more about MyVitro, you can visit myvitro.com. They're on Instagram, Facebook, all the social media. So thank you both so much for sharing your story and for being here today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having us on, Elise. This has been lovely. Yeah, and thank you for all the work you're doing for the community as well. Well, maybe we can all put our traumatized heads together and (laughs) make this less terrible. (laughs) In There Injected That is produced by Fruitful Fertility and hosted by myself, Elise Ash. Thanks for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a rating and review, subscribe to get updates, and visit our website at fruitfulfertility.org. Thanks for listening.